Welcome to the Experience Christian Church Message Podcast. We are a church startup based out of Exton, Pennsylvania, committed to giving the community a fresh start with God and with church. Our mission is to help people experience God's love in a practical way. We would love to connect with you. Would you text ECC info to 94000 or go to our website, experiencecc.org for more information and to learn how you can be a part of our community. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, friends. I'd like to start off by reading Philippians 4, verses 4 to 8 together. We're going to focus on this text for the next four weeks. As a matter of fact, would you want to stand and read it with me? Let's start. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, I'm not sure if you've studied or read over this text before, but this text is a powerful tool for dealing with the hardships we encounter in our lives. These four verses come with four steps that lead to a wonderful promise. And I've heard it cited as a prescription, a cure, and a roadmap. And you can call it what you like, but I'm convinced if you commit to put these verses in your heart and exercise these specific and concrete steps, you'll find them helpful. In verse 6, the author Paul is giving us a directive. He says, do not be anxious about anything. And this is when our cynicism jumps out, doesn't it? How do we stop being anxious about things? With everything transpiring in our world right now, this comes across as almost laughable, doesn't it? You know, we looked at these same verses back in 2020, immediately after the pandemic started. And today is Thursday evening, and I'm recording this message. And of course, that's when a war in Ukraine is breaking out. We need these verses. Not just because of global issues, but also because of the issues that are happening in our own yard, in our own heart. We've been in a global pandemic for two years. Name any issue and you'll find folks divided on which steps to take in order to head towards a solution. And local news scoreboards are at arms with one another about the appropriateness of masks and next steps and what do they take. And Have you been shopping lately? Prices seem to be higher. Inventory is lower. If you're on a fixed income, there's reason to be concerned. Maybe you know someone in the hospital right now. I've had two immediately family members in within the past week. So when Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, how can I help but question Paul's grasp on reality? How can we avoid being anxious? We're in an anxiety pressure cooker. And this series is drawing a lot from Max Lucado's book. It was written on these same verses, and he rightly calls the book Anxious for Nothing. I wanted to share a quote from chapter 1, starting how common our struggle with anxiety was before COVID. Max says, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, anxiety disorders are reaching epidemic proportions. In a given year, nearly 50 million Americans will feel the effects of a panic attack, phobias, or other anxiety disorders. Our chests will tighten. We'll feel dizzy and lightheaded. We'll fear crowds and avoid people. Anxiety disorders in the United States are the number one mental health problem among women and are second only to alcohol and drug abuse among men. You know, again, this was written pre-pandemic. And I was on KFF's site, and they cited that COVID-19 and the resulting economic recession have exasperated mental health challenges. According to their research, about 4 in 10 adults in the U.S. have reported symptom of anxiety or depressive disorder. This is up from 1 in 10 adults back in 2019. 
This is obviously a big deal. I'm not sure if you're finding yourself worrying about your worrying or if you find yourself just exhausted and tired from two years of compound worries. But we know some of the symptoms of being weighed down by life, don't we? We stop being optimistic about things. We see problems in the midst of presented solutions. Life becomes more serious and we find ourselves laughing a lot less. We become more critical and negative. We expect and assume the worst is just around that corner. We'd rather stay in bed than get up and take on the world. And isolation and hibernation, it feels safer than a world full of chaos, right? Other folks that appear to be living their best life, we look at them as they are the delusional ones, as if they're living with a mask and unwilling to let on to what's really happening in their life. This isn't an exhaustive list, but you know you're there if you feel weighted down by life. If it's not you, it certainly knows someone else in your space, right? Again, despite the statistics, despite the realness of our own lives, Paul is saying unapologetically, do not be anxious about anything. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you may be able to dismiss Paul's words easily and say, this is another reason to doubt the Bible's accuracy and the author's sanity. But if you're a Jesus follower, if you're convinced that Paul's speaking on God's behalf, you may be feeling more worried about your worries. This kicks off a critical and downward spiral where we feel guilty because we feel worry, which gives us more guilt, which produces more worry and feeling an increase of more anxiety. But Paul is clear here, do not be anxious about anything. So what exactly did he mean by this? What he's actually challenging us to do is to refuse to live a life that's in a perpetual state of anxiety. Max Lucido says it this way, the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the prison of anxiety is optional. You know, being anxious isn't bad in itself. Anxiety is an emotion. However, anxiety screams for relief, and if not dealt with properly, it can lead us to really bad choices in order to deal with our anxiety. Maybe you've turned to things for comfort that are causing you more harm than good. Maybe you're checking out of life, checking out of relationships, reaching for anything to numb the pain. Well, friends, I have good news. Paul is offering us something really good to reach for, something that promises to provide us with relief that can actually bring us calm. And over the next four weeks, we're going to unpack the four steps listed in these four verses. First, we're going to talk about celebrating God's goodness, that we can actually rejoice in the Lord always. That's today in verse 4. The A is for ask God for help. Let your requests be made known to God, from verse 6. Leave your concerns with Him with thanksgiving, also from verse 6. And finally, M, meditate on good things. Think about the things that are good and worthy of praise. That's calm. Celebrate, ask, leave, and meditate. These are the four steps on our roadmap, and they can help us get through the dark valleys. Not because it's a great, cool thing. No, this is a spiritual roadmap that can connect us with a God who cares for us and wants to be with us in our hard times. You know, I've been excited about this series since November. I caught up a few folks to talk them through it, and they were like, it sounds great. But a few of them were like, hmm, sounds like a good first step towards peace, but maybe it, maybe it might not deliver as well as we hoped. And the last person said, this sounds a little hokey to me. I'm not sure it's going to deliver at all. Well, this particular friend has been reading the book with me and has been engaging in thoughtful dialogue. And she said, this calm approach is actually really practical and helpful. It's my hope that this series will give you a tool to lean into God and trust him as your helper. You will worry less about your worries. And I hope you develop a strategy to help equip you for fighting off anxiety. 
To be clear, this series may bring, you may bring your anxiety issues to light. For some of you, you've been hiding your anxiety from others, and this may be your invitation to deal with them and bring them into the light in a healthy way. A healthy way may involve this series just being part of it every week, but it may also involve the help of a therapy and or medication. If that's the case, I don't want you to see your faith as weak, but exercise your faith and ask God to lead you to a qualified counselor and or doctor that can provide you with the treatment you need. Well, let's jump in with this first letter of our acrostic. We're going to start with C, celebrate God's goodness. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Wow, Paul was really mean it because he repeated it. And he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Why Paul, what's there to rejoice about? And he says, the Lord is near. Why don't you repeat that with me? The Lord is near. This passage is one of the most highlighted passages of all time, whether in the Bible app or on the Amazon Kindle. People love this passage. You know, the words are even richer when you understand the context. The context really helps us understand the power of this passage. Paul, he's the writer, he's the apostle, and you need to know where he is. He is in Rome. Man, that sounds great. Who wouldn't want to be in Rome? But the problem is, he went there to preach and found himself in prison. This wasn't Paul's first run of hardship. Take some time, read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and you'll read about the times he was whipped, beaten, pelted with stones, shipwrecked. And what was his crime? Telling others about Jesus. His life was in danger, and he made enemies everywhere he went. And in this particular prison, he had reason to be anxious. His future was very uncertain. He didn't know the outcome, how long he'd be there, if he would ever make it out, if he would live much longer. Yet, rather than find himself in a prison of anxiety, he writes a letter under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage a church in Philippi to rejoice and experience peace. And his words have been shared time and time again with people all over the world, and they cling to them because they need hope as they're facing hardship. But why did Paul have this disposition? Why not write a letter complaining about how unfair and how hard life was to this church? Why not ask him to pray for him? Why make this letter to encourage others and tell them to rejoice in the Lord always? Well, the key is what he says next. He says the Lord is near. Yes, Paul's in prison, but he knows that God is near him. That God is with him. Paul's not rejoicing because of a situation. He's rejoicing that God is with him. And so many of us think that happiness, it's the same as joy. Rejoicing is obviously a portion of joy. We pursue happiness oftentimes by acquiring things, going places, building relationships, creating moments. But as you've heard it says, happiness is based on our happenings. But rejoicing, rejoicing demands a deeper focus. You know, joy, it's not opposed to happiness. Joy welcomes happiness. Joy just knows that happiness departs as often as it comes. But joy is stable. Joy looks beyond our circumstances and searches for hope. Joy finds hope in the promises of God. Joy rejoices in the fact that the Lord is near. Paul's writing from a real prison, and yet he's freer than most of us. He's free from the prison of anxiety. And I want you to think about the term he used for God there. He used the term Lord, and the term for God that Paul used in this verse means master, ruler, and this points to God's authority, not only over Paul, but over the entire earth, and including Paul's circumstances. You know, anxiety heightens when things go out of control, right? To say subjects for a moment, have you ever gotten on a roller coaster and almost regretted it immediately? I took my son Nathan to King's Dominion in Richmond a couple years ago, and we got on the Intimidator 305. Check out this phrase on their website from King's Dominion. It says, 
challenge one of the tallest, fastest, and most thrilling roller coasters on the East Coast. The 300 tall, first drop, and high speed twists and turns deliver a thrilling experience you will remember for a long, long time. Yes, you will remember that. Whenever I talk to Nate about it, he remembers it and says, I'm never going on that again. There's a stat that keeps you from having too much anxiety. Look at that duration, three minutes. Despite the fact you're going 90 miles an hour and I grayed out around the first turn, literally, things got purple and gray and I couldn't see real well. Whenever I would think about that, I would just think, oh, look at all the people that got on this ride before me. I'm not worried that anything serious is gonna happen because truth be told, yes, it was scary, but I knew I only had a few more minutes to endure. But when it comes to real life worries, it's the unknown that gets us, right? The feeling that everything is out of control. And when things feel out of control, oftentimes we try to control things and that's when things sometimes get worse. And when things are out of control, the what ifs start to storm in, right? What if this happens? What if he does? What if she does? What if, what if, what if? And what ifs collectively join together and they build walls creating a prison of anxiety. Some of us are on the outside of a prison physically, but if we're honest, we are locked up day and night under house arrest and we're perpetually in a prison of anxiety. This isn't an issue that only people out there deal with. This one hits really close to home for me. Those symptoms I mentioned earlier, I knew them real well. I talked about physical feelings of anxiety. For me, I feel it in my neck. It tightens up. Whenever you see me doing this, that usually means I'm in a tough spot. You know, I smile less when this happens. I can turn a smile on when I see, hey, how's it going? But it's my RSF that gives me away my resting stressed face. Catch me doing it at times. You know, when I'm with my family, it doesn't mean I'm necessarily with my family during the seasons when anxiety is high because I'm thinking about the things that feel out of control. I can become snippy if interrupted or called out. You can check my Fitbit and see that I wake up sometimes between three and four in the morning during this seasons and desperately trying to shift my what ifs to prayers and surrender control and trust back to the Lord, my master. So this series isn't one that I'm speaking out from strength. I'm one of us here, and I need this reminder. A pastor that I remember, Craig Gershell, he preached a sermon on Philippians 4 and tied it back to the Old Testament prophet Elijah. And maybe you know Elijah, if you went to Sunday school and you grew up knowing him, you can find his account in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Kings, beginning in chapter 17. And here Elijah, you'll get to know his character. He really, really loved God, and yet, despite experiencing God's goodness, faithfulness, power, and provision, he still struggles worry. Now here's a bit of a story. Elijah was the first in a long line of important prophets sent to God's people to warn them how they had turned away from God. He was trying to get them to turn back to God. We see in 1 Kings 17, Elijah goes to King Ahab. He delivers a message from God that wasn't received well. He explained that due to Ahab's sinful leadership, God was sending a drought to get their attention. And this message put him on the run. And for three years, he hid from the king. And God protected for him in miraculous and unexpected ways. In a nation that was required by law to care for their prophets, God took care of Elijah. He fed him from a raven, which happened to be considered an unclean bird. Also from a poor widow willing to share her food, which supernaturally never ran out. In chapter 18, we see a showdown on Mount Carmel. It was the third year of the drought, and God instructed Elijah to deliver a message to King Ahab that rain was going to be coming soon. The showdown occurred when Elijah challenged 850 of Ahab's prophets, and he worshipped other gods, to, and he offered a sacrifice to their gods. 
He gave him a showdown. He said, call down fire. Elijah said he would do the same thing. They kept calling out to their gods, all 850 of them, all day long, and nothing happened. And Elijah, knowing that God was near, called out to God, and God showed up in a big way, in a consuming fire. Again, you'll have to read those chapters and see how God undeniably was close to Elijah. But then right after this great victory, his greatest victory, things began to fall apart. Not because of Ahab, but because of his wife Jezebel. Now Ahab was rotten, but Jezebel made him look like Billy Graham. Jezebel, she had enough of Elijah and committed to take him out in the next 24 hours. And when Ahab was after him, he hid. But when Jezebel declared war, we see him spiral into a very real battle with depression and anxiety. Let's read this account beginning in verse 3. Elijah was afraid. And this seems to be a rational reaction to someone saying they're going to kill you and fled for his life. It's worth noting here that we read over and over again in Elijah's account that he listened and waited for the Lord's instructions. When he first gave a warning to Ahab, God told him to lay low, so he did. But on this occasion, he didn't wait for an instruction from God. He chose to run immediately. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah. This journey was over a hundred miles away, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. And there he is, exhausted, now choosing to go out and be alone. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. So Elijah praised God to take him out. Think logically with me for a second. He's worried that Jezebel is going to kill him. But now he asks God to take him out. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Elijah had enough. He was at his breaking point and let God know how desperate he was. He didn't sugarcoat it. He said, I have had enough. Then he fell asleep, I believe hoping he would never wake up. But I want you to notice here from this account four different mistakes that Elijah made. The same kind of mistakes that are easy for any of us to commit and each can lead us down an unintended path of increased anxiety and depression. The first mistake that we can make is running to exhaustion. You know, Elijah didn't run a little distance there. He went 100 miles. That's four marathons. He went from Westchester to New York City, from Philadelphia to Baltimore. And what happened? He was exhausted before his journey. And like us, he thought he could just keep pushing on, doing more in his own strength. Then he presses on some more in the wilderness. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. Maybe you are too. We let our buckets get dangerously empty, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and we just keep pushing on. We tell ourselves, I've got a little bit more in me. I can make it. I've got more in the tank. It's just a season are the things we tell ourselves, but this is a recipe for anxiety, isn't it? Our second mistake can be we choose to isolate. You know, Elijah had an assistant, and Elijah instructed him to stay as he pressed on alone in the wilderness. No details are shared as to why, but he thought he could do it alone. He was exhausted. Maybe he just didn't want to be a burden on him. Whatever the reason, he found himself all alone. And when you're alone, you're vulnerable. What would his assistant say to him if he heard that prayer under the broom tree? My guess he'd say something helpful, something encouraging. Maybe some grace mixed in with a little bit of truth. Hey, Elijah, I love you. You need some rest. How can I help? Whenever we're in a rough spot, it's natural to want to isolate. But let me tell you, something supernatural happens when we come together and share what's going on. We are a church that stresses the need for authentic community. We're kicking off another round of groups, and it's perfect to join this week. Go to www.experiencecc.org groups and sign up now. 
Let me tell you, life is better together and we're incomplete when we go at it alone. Sometimes it may feel like you're just going through the motions, but let me tell you, if you open up, someone's going to meet you in your need. You don't have to do life alone. Thirdly, we can focus on the negative, can't we? I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life or I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. It's so easy to find ourselves focusing on the negatives when we're dealing with anxiety and depression. Instead of being thankful for all the ways God has showed up in our past, we can focus on the ways that we think we don't measure up, how we're unworthy, how we're messed up. Elijah, he focused on what he's been through and says, one more thing and I'm done. We say things like that. If one more bad thing happens today, if one more person, maybe we say things like, it's always going to be this way. I'm always going to be broke. I'm always going to be alone. I'm never going to be happy. Nobody understands me. It's a big mistake, isn't it? And lastly, the big mistake, the biggest mistake is we take our focus off of God. Elijah had seen God's power up close and personal. These are the times recorded God answered his cry about the rain. God provided food for ravens. He saw a widow's jar be filled supernaturally. He saw a dead boy raised to life. In the face of 850 prophets, he saw God deliver fire from heaven. He was given the superpower to run faster than a chariot. Yes, it's in there. But in the face of Jezebel, this new obstacle, it took him out. Interestingly enough, Elijah's name means, My God is Yahweh. Every time he spoke his name or every time his name was called out, he literally heard the truth that his God was Yahweh. But despite his hardship, despite his desiring death, God didn't abandon him. God stayed near him, and an angel of the Lord came and cared for him. He sent him on a journey, and God revealed himself to him. In verse 11, we see this conversation between God and him. God said, Go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire there was the sound of a gentle whisper. So we have God appearing to Elijah in a gentle whisper. Not in the wind, not in the earthquake, not in the fire, but a whisper. You know, it's easy to ignore a whisper. It's easy to focus and obsess on our worries, isn't it? We have to quiet a racing mind to hear a whisper. And do you know what I find out in life? That God still speaks in whispers. When I'm most anxious, when I'm the most worked up, I find myself almost demanding God to show up. Like, God, show me that you're with me. I expect God to match my intensity level with his presence. And when I'm shouting for him to show up, I don't sense him until I quiet down. But you know what I found to be true in my own kids? You know, when they were little and they were all worked up, upset or hurt, they would come up and they would be screaming. And, you know, what would I do? I'd just bring them close. I'd comfort them. I'd give them a little, shh, it's going to be okay. Whenever pain was involved and the screams were bigger, I can remember them coming up screaming and they were just carrying so much tension in their little bodies. And I would bring them close and hold them tight. And I can still remember feeling them just start to relax. Their jaws would untense. Their bodies would soften. It would melt my arms. And then at that moment, I knew they were ready to listen. Why is it that God whispers? God whispers because he wants us close enough to hear him. I'm so glad that Paul included these words in Philippians 4 or 5 when he says, The Lord is near. 
You know, when we are the most worried, we are desperate to know that God is near us, that he cares for us, that he hasn't abandoned us, and that he's close enough to save us. Let me assure you of this truth. If you hear nothing else today, know this. God wants to be near you. That God's good, and he wants to be with you. Looking back, I know that God has been with me in my hardest moments. The rearview mirror is easy to identify that God was there, even though I wasn't sure at the time. When Carrie and I had a miscarriage, he was there. When I wondered if our marriage could endure hardship, he was there. Being betrayed by your friend, he was there. When I was worried about my calling, he was there. And in all these times, I can trust in his goodness and that he's in control and that he's near. He cares more about you, my friends, than you could ever believe. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. These words are deep and carry a heaviness, don't they? Brokenhearted, crushed in spirit. When you feel like you're being crushed, when you cry out to God, I cannot take any more. When anxiety is crippling, you know that God is good. He's in control and that he's near. And that God wants to be with you. He wants to fill you and you just need to call out to him. Maybe today that's what you really need to hear. That God is good. He's in control and he's with you. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. This is week one of four weeks. And I really hope you're going to dive into this series and let it touch your heart. And let, this verses, let these verses just come in, sink in. You should memorize them. Walk with them. Think about them as you're dealing with any worries and anxiety. And we remember every week that Jesus was as intimate as he could when he came to this earth and gave his own life so that we could reconnect with God the Father. At this time, go ahead and grab your communion elements and we'll eat and drink together. Every week, we pause to remember just how close Jesus came. Jesus came to this earth, walked as a man, lived a sinless life, and offered his own life so that we could reconnect with God the Father, that by placing our faith in him, by believing in him, by making him our leader and forgiver, we can reconnect with God the Father and know that he's with us, that he'll never leave us, never forsake us. And so we remember the act of his sacrifice by taking these two elements. So at this time, let's go ahead and take the bread, which represents his body, together. And then we take the cup, which represents the blood he shed for the forgiveness of our sins. Please pray with me. Father God, thank you that you are near us. That you are good and that you're in control. That God, you desire us to be with you. God, if there's anybody here who's just deciding what it means to give their life to you, I pray they'll do that. That they'll ask for your forgiveness of their sins. They'll put their faith in you. And God, they'll make a decision to trust you and make you their leader and forgiver. And for all of us that have made that decision, thank you so much for being a father who's close to us. That will see us through all things. We love you and we're thankful for you. And thanks for the opportunity to gather today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope something you heard today will draw you closer to God and encourage you to know him better. If you found this message podcast helpful, please subscribe, write a review, and consider sharing it with someone else. If there is anything we can do for you, a question we could talk through with you, a prayer we could say on your behalf, or a need you have, 
please don't hesitate to let us know. We are better together. Please connect with us soon. Take care.